passage this morning comes from Matthew 12, verses 1 to 14. It says this, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they said to him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. This is God's word. We're living today in a world that is very confused about religion. On the one hand, there is a shrinking attendance within churches in the United States. There is, over the last decade, those who check off no religious affiliation has doubled or even tripled. There is an increasing concern about religion, skepticism, fear, and even anger against religion. As we look at what religion has wrought around the world, we can understand that movement away from religion. On the other hand, evangelical churches are growing in the United States and exploding in a number of third world countries. So what accounts for both is move away from a religion and yet, in many quarters, a greater embracing of the Christian faith. Though I don't know the answer, I would propose today that it's because Christianity is not so much a religion as it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we go through this passage today, I think we're going to see Jesus bring out the differences between the religion which confronts him as a sinner. And underneath we can see that Christianity isn't that kind of religion. It is truly a loving relationship with our God. So let's pray and ask the Lord to to open our hearts and our minds to his truth. Father, that is exactly what I pray. For uh, our natural place is darkness, but Jesus Christ is the light who gives us understanding. And so we pray that your word might be illuminated to us through the Spirit 
not just to give us an understanding of it, but to open our hearts to embrace it fully. To be willing in the grace of Jesus Christ to open our lives that you might show us where we are not fitting into relationship, but where we have fallen off into religion. Or Lord, if we have been turned off to Christianity because it seems to us to be a religion, Lord, drop the scales from our eyes and our hearts today that we might allow the Spirit of God to speak to us the words of Jesus Christ. Father, I am totally inadequate to do that as a preacher. There is so much that I'm going to not bring out that this passage does, but Father, you have a way of bringing home the truth by your Spirit, and I trust you'll do that this morning. Amen. So the the scene here in this passage is a confrontation between religious leaders, the Pharisees, and Jesus over the Sabbath. And we have two particular events. One is the disciples are walking through a field and they grab some grain and they, they get the kernels out of it and they eat because they're hungry. And Jesus is confronted over that scenario. And then later, it's almost as though they're laying a trap that Jesus happily walks into regarding whether... It is good to, it is proper and lawful to heal someone on the Sabbath who is not in critical condition, but a man who has a withered hand. And we're going to see in this confrontation clearly what religion brings us, but what, on the other hand, what Jesus Christ offers us when we live out of relationship with Him. Uh, the first thing we see about religion is that it brings us heavy burdens. Religion lays burdens on us. It straitjackets us. It so often seems to attempt to micromanage our lives and to tell us everything to do and don't do. And Jesus has made reference to that in the previous verses. He's contrasted what he is offering with what the religious leaders have been offering. When he says in verse 28 of chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this story shows us the yoke of the Pharisees and the heavy burden that they place on people in contrast to the light yoke that Jesus brings. And you can see the micromanagement of their lives. What have the disciples done? It's the Sabbath. They're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. But the Jews have a multitude of very specific and picky rules about the Sabbath. They've laid a heavy burden on the people. So the disciples walk through the field. They're hungry. They, they strip the kernels of grain, which is lawful to do on the outskirts of anyone's property. They rub their hands together to get the chaff off. They perhaps blow the chaff away. They eat the kernels and continue walking. That's all they've done. Yet these religious leaders are peering in, 
looking for how they could catch Jesus in sin. And they point right to his disciples at that place. And they said, you have worked on the Sabbath by taking the grain. You have winnowed on the Sabbath by blowing away the chaff. And you have prepared your meal by doing that and eating. You've broken three laws of the Sabbath. Who can live under such micromanagement of religion? Naturally, we feel straitjacketed and controlled. But Jesus is very different from that. And what we see in Jesus' case is he presents a beautiful case for why they have not broken the law. Elsewhere, Jesus is going to say, I am the truth. If you know the truth, it will set you free. Because when you walk with Jesus, you walk not by the minutia of the letter of the law, but we walk by a truth that aligns us with life itself. Uh, author and pastor Tim Keller, I think, says it beautifully. In religion... The purpose of obeying the law is to assure that you are right with God. As a result, when you come to the law, what you're most concerned about is detail. You want to know exactly what you've got to do because you have to push all the right buttons. In the life of the Christian, the law of God, though still binding on them, functions in a completely different way. It shows you the life of love you want to live before God, who has done so much for you. God's law takes you out of yourself. It shows you how to serve God and others instead of being absorbed with yourself. You study and obey the law of God in order to discover the kind of life you should live in order to please and resemble the one who created and redeemed you, delivering you from the consequences of sin. What's he said? Religion is rules that you try to measure up to to get accepted by God. But Christianity is a truth presented to us so that we can become the people God always intended us to be and the people deep down that we desire to be, reflecting the very image of God himself. A second way that we see religion contrasted with relationship is that religion is simplistic. It doesn't take into account complexities of life. It has a set of rules, and if you break the rules, you have sinned. Very clearly we see that here. The disciples broke the rules. There was no understanding, no desire to comprehend why the disciples were doing that, what their mission was. We see with the man with the withered hand. They had no concern for the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. But if you heal him, you break the rules. doesn't matter who you are, what the situation is. Simplistically, you break the rules, you've sinned. In contrast, we see Jesus with a much more complex view when he says this. 
If you had known what these words mean, and the words are, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. What's he saying here is, you wouldn't jump into judgment on the disciples if you understood the complexity that God isn't just, here's a rule, that's it. But he understands the complexities around it. In this case, he sees there is sacrifice. Now, Jesus isn't saying sacrifice is wrong. Don't be concerned with sacrifice. Jesus would be the first one to say, offer your sacrifices. But he's saying there is something right now as important as sacrifice is. There's something more important, and that is mercy. Because that's what God is about. And so what we talk about is a hierarchy of ethics. Sometimes the commands of God seem to be intention. And the Pharisees could not recognize that. They were all about their rules. Jesus understood the dynamics of what were happening. He entered into the hearts and the lives of the people. And he said, mercy wins out over sacrifice here. A third way religion differs from a relationship with God is that religion stays on the surface, on the outside of the cup, Jesus would say later. It looks merely at the actions. And it's precisely what we see here. He's not going underneath the heart. Jesus Jesus does. Notice in Matthew 12, 12, when he is trying to drive home what God would desire for the man with the withered hand, he comes to this principle. How much more valuable is a person than sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. See, Jesus boils it all down, going underneath the surface and say, the real issue here is not the outside, it's the dynamic of what's going on and the inside. Is it good? Is it right to do good on the Sabbath? If it is, then I can heal regardless of your rules. In another place, Jesus will say to the Pharisees, you are whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but full of dead men's bones on the inside. There's a dynamic that's going on in your heart that is not connected to God. You're all about the surface. Whereas Jesus cuts into that. In fact, when he is questioned, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says... To love God with everything in your being. And to love your neighbor as yourself. That's why mercy is more important than sacrifice, because it is to the heart of God. But he says one more thing. He says all of the laws and the commandments hang on these two commandments. Every commandment in his scripture is in some way an expression of loving God or loving your neighbor. 
Look at the Ten Commandments. The first four are all about loving God. The next six all about loving your fellow human being. And when Jesus says all the laws hang on it, whereas the religious people are looking at the rule, Jesus is looking at what's underneath that rule. I like to liken it to an iceberg. The rule's on the surface, and that's all we see. But underneath, 80% of the iceberg is underneath. And that's what Jesus was concerned with. The greatest commandments, love God, love your neighbor. And the, the tip of the iceberg, the expression of that iceberg should always be in line with those two commands. If they are not, then that rule is not right. And Jesus boils it down to, is it good? Is it right to do good, to care, to love on the Sabbath? Of course it is. Another difference between religion and relationship is the hypocrisy. And Jesus outs their hypocrisy in this passage as well. No, they won't let... They won't let the disciples glean. They won't let Jesus heal a man with a broken, with a withered hand. But he looks at their own lives and he says this in verse 11. If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? And he's pointing to their their practice of the day. Now, later... Later, they're going to tighten up this law. You know, they're always going to tighten up the law. No, we can't take the sheep out. But at this time, he's saying, look, a sheep falls in, you pull them out. Yet you won't let me care for my fellow man. That's hypocrisy. A hypocrisy that turns religion into making it about me. I'll make the exceptions to the rules for me. But my heart isn't out there with one beat with God looking out for his things. Loving him, loving my neighbor. I think one of the most difficult things for Jesus to hear is the charge, the church is full of hypocrites. Because that's not what Jesus Christ is about. The cross is the place that allows us to stop our hypocrisy. To admit to God, to admit to ourselves, and to admit to others that we are sinners. That we fail. We have failed God. We fail one another. And we can admit that because the cross offers us the forgiveness and the acceptance and the grace to do that. If I admit to you my sin, you may not receive me, but I know my God still receives me. Christians should be the most authentic people in the world. If we are not, we have not connected to the cross and the meaning of the cross. Relationships brings authenticity. Religion brings hypocrisy. 
And then religion brings judgmentalism. And we, we see it in this passage in that uh, they are so quick to judge Jesus. You can see them laying in wait to pronounce judgment upon Jesus. I don't know why they knew the disciples had gleaned. They were looking out or they had their spies out there, but they knew it. When the man with the withered hand comes, they're saying, can you heal on a Sabbath? And they've already got the judgment in place. They know Jesus is going to heal them, so they are ready to pounce with their judgment. A judgmentalist person, judgmental person is the one looking to pronounce judgments on others because it lifts them up above others. I'm better than you because this is what I do. This is the religion I have. So they lift themselves up as supreme over Jesus. Jesus does pronounce judgments. But he is not judgmental. I think uh, a story I heard maybe gives a little of that distinction. There was a church that was candidating two men for the position of pastor. They both preached about hell. The first one got up there and he preached articulately, intelligently, and uh, he, he connected beautifully. And as he preached about hell, he had a smile on his face and he was connecting with the people. The second preacher was somewhat dull, sad. And when the leaders came together to choose the pastor, they chose the second one. And everyone was wondering, why, why did you choose, why didn't you choose the dynamic one? And they said, well, when the first candidate preached at hell, it seemed like he was happy about it. When the second one preached about hell, there were tears streaming down his face. That's the difference between making a judgment and judgmentalism. When Jesus judges, tears fall down his cheeks. So, what we see here is there is a vast difference between religion and Christianity living out of a relationship. So, religious people take offense at Jesus. Notice the response of the Pharisees. It isn't, Jesus heals. This must be the Messiah. He's doing miracle after miracle. It wasn't, Ah, this poor man with the withered hand. He's finally made whole. The response is, the Pharisees then plotted to kill Jesus. See, religious people don't like Jesus because he preaches grace. Because he outs the hypocrisy of religion. So religious people are offended. But what's interesting is when we go to the parallel passage in Mark, it reads this. 
Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So, so it says the Pharisees, the religious people, plotted, but they joined with the Herodians. Now, who are the Herodians? The Herodians are the irreligious people. They are of a, they're of a group that embraced the rule of Rome while the Pharisees saw it as an intrusion upon their relationship with God. They, they welcomed and aligned themselves with the Romans so that they could benefit from the Romans. Some way they were materialistic. And if they did have a religion, they lined up with the liberal Sadducees who didn't really believe in heaven, didn't believe in, um, in judgment, didn't believe in miracles, they didn't really believe in the supernatural. So the Herodians picture Herod himself. He lives an immoral life. And what does he do when somebody dares to stand up and call sin, sin? He has John the Baptist's head cut off. So, so that's a picture of the Herodians, a much more hedonistic life, where religion is some sideline that you just go through the motions for. And now you see these two, these two groups that hate each other because the religious hate the Herodians. They hate the irreligious. And the irreligious hate the religious, yet there's one thing that brings them together. There's one hatred greater than that of each other. It's the hatred of Jesus Christ. And so so we understand in this passage why the religious hate Jesus. There's a couple pieces in this passage that will show us why the irreligious hated Jesus. And it's found in two of his proclamations. The first proclamation is, there is something here greater than the temple. Of course, that would infuriate the religious people for Jesus to say he's superior to the temple. The temple was the place where they met God. They centered their entire lives around the temple. But it's also offensive to the irreligious. Because Jesus is making a proclamation, I am God. When he says, I am greater than the temple, that's his proclamation. I am the God of the temple. And irreligious people don't like that because every religion is supposed to be a way to God if you have religion. And if you don't have religion, that's okay too. But one of the most offensive things a Christian can say is there is one way to God and it's through Jesus Christ. It seems so narrow-minded. But what everyone has to remember is this isn't something we made up as Christians because we have a religion and we want to feel superior to every other religion. That's not the reason. 
The reason is, it's what Jesus himself said. I am the way, I am the life. I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to God except through me. Here he says, I am the temple. If you want to worship God, I am God. If you want to come to God and know the way to worship God, I am that way to worship God, just as the temple was step by step the way to worship God. I am the way to worship God. That's offensive. But it is what Jesus says and challenges us with. The second thing he sends that would be offensive to the irreligious is the statement, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. See, what he said here is, you have all these rules regarding the Sabbath. Well, I'm telling, I'm here to tell you something. I trump all those rules. I can make up my own rules about the Sabbath because I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am God. And as God, I am the one and the only one who has the authority to tell you what you can do and cannot do on the Sabbath. I am the only one who can tell you this is right and this is wrong. I am the moral center of the universe. I am the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you want to know right and wrong, good and evil, you come to me. You don't go inward into yourself to determine for yourselves what is right and wrong. This is offensive to irreligious people who believe that we as individuals are the moral centers of our lives. We live in a culture of moral relativism. And Jesus steps into that culture and says, morality is not relative. It is determined by God. It is determined by me. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The amazing thing is through these, Jesus offers so much that they turn their backs on. Some of the ancient preachers pointed out that a man who comes with a withered hand really represents a man who has nothing to offer because you offer something to others with your hand. Here, take this. But if your hand is withered, you are unable to offer what you would like to offer. In many ways, as Jesus heals this man with a withered hand, he is offering a healing to the Pharisees who are saying to the world, here's the religion we offer you, but it is a withered religion. He is offering through this story a healing to their hands, to their perspective, to their religion, offering a relationship that brings what they're supposed to bring to the people. Life, vitality, freedom, authenticity. Jesus Christ offers that to the religious and the irreligious. And yet we turn, some of us turn to religion and it's withered. And others turn outside religion to everything else in life and it withers. 
Jesus Christ offers the vitality of life. When he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, he is saying, I am the Sabbath rest. See, that's what the Sabbath was for. Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest. Physical rest for our bodies so we could take that day off and recuperate. And spiritual rest for our souls as we come and worship God and get revitalized by coming into the presence of God and connecting with that God in worship. That's why the Sabbath was set apart as holy. And Jesus says, I am the Sabbath rest. That's what he said in the previous verses. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What does he mean by this rest? One, to the religious, he says, you can stop living by the minutia of the law, thinking that keeping the rules will somehow eventually please God enough that he will accept you. Jesus says you can't do enough. You are sinners. But what I have done for you is I have on the cross taken your sin so you can be relieved of your sin and your guilt and you can rest your eternal salvation in me. You don't have to work for it. And to the irreligious, he says, you are seeking, you are looking for love in all the wrong places. You are seeking for significance in things that will not satisfy. Let go of those and you will find that love and that significance and how much I love you and treasure you, you see it at the cross. It's pictured in the Chariots of Fire, that movie from the 80s, where you had two runners competing in the Olympics, and you have the, the actor played by Harold Abrams. He's a, he's a Jewish man, and he, he's obsessed with winning the gold medal. And in, in that pursuit, at one point he says, I only have 10 seconds to prove I matter. On the other hand, you have the, this Christian runner who actually gives up the opportunity to win the gold medal in the 100, his best event, because it's on the Sabbath. But he's able to give that up because he wanted to honor God by keeping the Sabbath. Later, he's put in another event that's not his best, and he wins it. But his response is, when I run, I feel the glory of God. You have one running to try to prove his significance in life. There is no rest. Even in his rest, when he's not running, he's not at rest. His soul is in turmoil in a pursuit that ultimately will not satisfy. And yet you have another that even while he works, even while he runs, he feels the glory of God. Why? Because Christianity is about a living relationship with God in Jesus Christ. It is at the foot of the cross and hearing Jesus' love poured out for us 
that we find that embrace that frees us from religion, anti-religion, and allows us to live in the vitality of life, the freedom and authenticity that a relationship with Jesus Christ offers everyone. Take it. Our Father, we are so grateful for your word. Week after week, we read it. Your spirit helps it come alive. It speaks to our lives. I pray that these words that we've received here would be deepened into our lives so that when we we don't leave the truths you've offered in these pews today, but we allow your spirit to make them a part of our lives. Lord, bring that true sense of your love into the depths of our souls in Christ's name.